Welcome to the Rock Church Podcast. This is Amanda. We're so glad you're joining us today. We are a church family that exists to love God, love people, and do something about it. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit us at rockc3.com or head over to your app store and search Rock C3 for our app. This is the third week of our series called The Easter Door from Pastor Josh Finkley. Enjoy the message. Man, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad you're talking. Hopefully you met somebody new. It's so important as a church. And I know some of you are brand new with us, and you're like, that was the most awkward thing I've ever done. Some of you have been coming for a while, and you're like, that was the most awkward thing I've done. Please don't ever make us do that again. I can't promise you I won't, but if you are new, I just want you to know, we don't do that a lot. But there are some benefits to it. You know what I mean? And and I want to challenge you. Remember the person's name, all right? If you've already forgot it, make sure you ask again on your way out. Write it down in your notebook. Say, the person over my right shoulder, that's so-and-so. Like, do whatever you can. Because I want you to have community. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. Everything we're going to talk about is community. And this is what I know as people... We desperately need community because when we don't have community, when we don't have good community, we'll go find community, but oftentimes we'll find it in a negative place. Anybody here willing to admit, like myself, that there was times in my life that I found community, but the community was not a good community to be a part of, and that maybe it led you to make some bad decisions? Guys, that was me as a teenager that I so desperately wanted community that I would look for it anywhere I could find it. And whenever I found it, I would just jump into whatever that group was doing. And it was never a good thing. So so what I want us to do as a church is I want us to talk about how do we be the community that Christ has called us to be? Because here's the beautiful thing. At the cross, we can find community. This series that we're in is called The Easter Door, which what we're really doing is we're just looking at the cross and the things that Jesus said. And today we're going to look at this statement. It was a statement that he said from a cross that that builds community. And I'll be honest with you, until this weekend, I'd never preach this text. It's an obscure part of the Bible. It's what Jesus said. Oftentimes I'd look at it and go, how do I apply that to my life? What's that mean? But then I started digging into it uh, in preparation for this message. And there's so many nuggets of truth, nuggets of gold inside of it that I hope each and every one of us will find because this is what I believe is that we all need community. We need a family. So, so I want us just to look at it. It's from the book of John. If you don't understand the book of John, it's um, a guy who was a follower of Jesus. His name was John. He's going to be in the verse that we're going to read about. And what he did is he wrote this book as basically a biography of Jesus so that we could understand who Jesus was. And um, so he's at the cross when this is happening, and this is what he recorded. He said, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, who is the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her. Now, the disciple he loved, that would have been 
the Apostle John. So I want you to see in the text that there is Mary, Jesus' mother. There is Mary's sister. There's Mary, the wife of Clopas. And there's Mary Magdalene. All right, So there's four ladies in this story. Three of them have the name Mary. So it can get real confusing real quick if you're not careful. The other woman in the story, her name is what we believe is Salome. All right? By looking at other biblical uh, books, we see that, that her name was Salome, and she was the sister of Mary, which would mean that she was Jesus' aunt. Okay? And, and we look at this group along with John, and what we find is a community. And what I want to do is I want to take just the next 25 minutes and I want us to talk about how, or I want us to discover what we find in this community. That it's going to take some while before I ever even get to the words of Jesus because at first I just want to see the people of Jesus who was around the cross. Because as we look at the people of Jesus, we'll see different aspects of the community. Like for instance, if we look at Mary Magdalene, we see a community of the redeemed. That you can just look at Mary Magdalene. Now, just for information's sake, Magdalene is not her last name. That is uh, in reference to the town that she is from. So people will call her Mary Magdalene, or they'll call her Mary of Magdala. And all that means is she was from the town of Magdala. All right? And Mary was a woman that, that we don't know a lot about. What we do know from scriptures, it says that she was a follower of Christ. She became a follower of Christ because she had been healed of demon possession. If you look at the book of Luke, the eighth chapter, we see that she was actually set free from seven different demons. And that's really the gist of all we get from her. Like, I wish there was more to be known. Like, I wish I could say, let me tell you about Mary's backstory. Let me tell you about everything that was going on in her life. Let me tell you about the encounter she had, how Jesus approached her. But honestly, we just don't know. We, we, we just literally, we don't know. Uh, if you've watched the Chosen series, uh, it's a great series. And, and the first couple episodes really deal with Mary Magdalene. Um, but even in that, that's artistic expression of the author trying to say, maybe this was going on in her life. We, we just honestly don't know. Here's what we probably can be pretty sure of. One, that she was alone and isolated. We know that because every place else in scripture where we see demon possession, we see people being alone and isolated. We see that society has kind of removed themselves from them. So we can picture that, that Mary Magdalene is alone and isolated. We also know because of demon possession, she was battling darkness. That there was darkness that had come into her life because of these demons. And light had been pushed out until the day that Jesus showed up in front of her and saw the darkness in her and cast out the darkness and brought in the light of his life. It was on that day that she was rescued. It was on that day she was restored. It was on that day she was redeemed. And I can't help but imagine while she's standing or sitting or kneeling at the foot of the cross and she's looking up at Jesus who's hanging there, that she's one of the few disciples that stuck around and she's looking at him. And I can imagine she's seeing the sky and the sky is dark. It says from 12 in the afternoon to 3, there was darkness over the land. And I can imagine she's looking and she's seeing the darkness and she's probably reminded of the darkness that was in her life 
yet she looks at the Christ and she sees the light. And she can remember that what used to be darkness all around me is now the light of Jesus because I've been redeemed. How many of you or myself find ourselves in the shoes of Mary? Now, probably none of us in here would say we were demon-possessed. But any of you ever felt like you were in a dark place before you met Jesus? Anybody with me? I know, that's me. I was in a dark place. I was alone. I was isolated. There was darkness winning in my life until I came to the cross. And when I came to the cross, I was introduced to Jesus who redeemed me. But I was also surrounded by a community. I was surrounded by Randy and Suzanne Weiss. I was surrounded by Scott and Marcella Johnson. I was surrounded by Steve and Julie Gregory. I was surrounded by Bill and Connie Van Hess, who they took me to Jesus and they helped me to be redeemed with Christ. But then they also stuck around in my life and helped me to restore things. They helped me to grow. They took care of me and they invited me into their community. And guys, that's what the church, that's what this community has to be about. We have to be a community where people who feel like they're walking in darkness can come in and find the light. Amen? You with me, Allison? But like, that's what we've got to be. We've got to be a community where people who feel like they're in the darkness can come in and find the light. We've got to be a community where we can point people to the cross and we can say, lay down your baggage, lay down your junk, lay down your dirt, just, just let it all be. And then we got to bring those people in because we have to be a ministry, a community of the redeemed. And here's reality. When we do that as a church, it's messy. It's messy. And the reason it's messy is because we are people, and as people, we are messy. Agree? You agree with me? I hear Hal agreeing with me. I don't know where you're at. Oh, I found you. I was looking for a do cat. What's wrong? You not supporting them today? <laughs> That's a different sermon, different day. All right, but, but anyway, Hal, you're with me, right? Like, it's going to be messy. We're all jacked up. That is truth. But we should be a church where jacked up people can come and find Jesus. Amen. Like, I needed that in the other sermon, okay? But, but anyway, you get me. Here's another way for me to say it. We have to be a church with blood-stained pews. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, time out, Josh. What, what has happened to you? You bring a cross into the church two weeks ago. Now we're wearing name tags, and now you're saying we need pews? Here's what I mean. There's a story of a church with blood-stained pews. And I desperately want our church to be like their church. See, what happened is it was June 5th, 1944. That date might stick out to a couple of you. That's D-Day. That's the day that the troops landed on the beaches of Normandy and, and for World War, during World War II. But those weren't the first troops that landed there. See, there was a, a, a group from the 101st Airborne Unit, paratroopers, that paratrooped in over the cover of darkness in the middle of the night. They were what you call pathfinders. Their job was to land and to kind of clear a path to the next village so that when the, the people landed on the beach as they made war there, they could get to the next village. 
So these paratroopers come in under the cover of darkness and they're getting shot at and their planes are going down and, and, and they're jumping out and they're paratrooping down to the, bot, to, to the swamps and to the area. And two of the guys that jumped out of the plane that day, one of them was named Kenneth Moore and the other one was named Robert White. The, the difference between Kenneth and Robert is that when they jumped out of the plane, they didn't have machine guns. They didn't have grenades. They didn't have ammunition. The only thing they had was their medic pack. That was it. Because they weren't soldiers, they were medics. They were, they were going to help heal people. But they were part of the group. So they landed in the swamps and they found their place to this little French town called Angoville. And when they got to this town, you know, they were with some of their other soldiers and the bullets are now flying and they know they've got to do their job and help bring healing. So they saw a church. It was a church built back in the 1100s, big stone church. And, and they said to themselves, that, that'll be a great place to treat the wounded. There'll be pews in there. There'll be tables in there. We can, we can help people. So they went to the door. They put a red cross sign on it. And then they went and they got the first soldier who was wounded and took him in and they cared for him. And then they went out and got another one. And then another one, and then another one. Over the course of 36 hours, they helped between 70 and 85 different people find healing. In the midst of while they were helping people, a mortar came through the ceiling at one point, went through the ceiling, hit the ground. Fortunately, it was a dud, so they threw it out. A little bit later, a German soldier came barreling through the, the front doors of the church. And as he came through, he had his machine gun in his hand, and he was about to wage war on everybody there. And as he picked it up to start to shoot, he noticed that all it was was medics and wounded. And maybe it was the Spirit of God, I don't know, but it came over him. And it says that he backed out, he crossed himself, and he shut the doors. For the next 36 hours, they took care of people. They, 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 they helped people. They said that, that they helped Americans, they helped Germans, they helped the French locals. It didn't matter because it wasn't about who was winning or who was losing. It was about helping the hurting. And when the war, or when the, that uh, battle ended and they moved on, and then the war ended eventually, the local townspeople came back and started to rebuild their town. And they went to their church and they started to rebuild their church. They put new stained glass windows in. They took care of the areas they could. And then they came to the pews. And this is what they found on the pews. Blood stains. And they tried to decide, well, what do we do? Do, do we just cover them up? Do, do we sand them down? Do we get rid of it? But somebody in the church said, no. No. That's a great reminder of what our church should be. This will always remind us that our church has to be a place for the wounded to heal. Has to be a place for those who are hurting to come and find help. And still today, that's what the pews look like. Those are modern day pictures of the pews. I read about that in, in a book, and this is what the author said. He said this. He said, they wanted to make absolutely clear to the future generations, this church was built in the 1100s to be a place of hope and healing for broken, hurting people. And on June 6, 1944, that's exactly what it was. It was a place for the wounded to come, for the injured to bleed, for the people to be healed, for the hurting to be cared for, no matter who they were, their beliefs, or their background. This is the church of the blood-stained pews. This is the place where the hurting can come, the wounded can heal, the suffering are welcomed, and people are redeemed. 
That's the church of Ongoville, and that's the kind of church I want The Rock to be. Are you with me? Are you with me, James? That's what we need to be. That's the kind of community you find at the cross. And for some of you, you're walking in darkness right now. You're bleeding out. You're feeling like you need help, but you've always been afraid to go to church because you're like, well, they'll just shoot me. Well, I can tell you this. It is my prayer that no one gets shot here, but you find a family at the cross of the redeemed. But for that to happen, then we can't just be a community of the redeemed. If that's really going to happen, if we're really going to help people find uh, restoration, if we're really going to help people find a way to be rescued, to, to be redeemed, then we also have to be a community that sacrifices for the cause. We can't just go, oh, yeah, let's make sure that we're a church for everybody, that, that they can come and they can find Jesus. Well, for that to happen, we have to be a community that sacrifices for the cause. And for that, I want to take you back to the cross. That at the cross, we see Mary Magdalene. But I want to remind you about two other women, women that were there. One of them was Salome. The other was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And these ladies fully understood what, what it meant to sacrifice for the cause. Uh, think about Salome for a second. Uh, Salome, that, that again, according to biblical records, she would have been the mom of James and John, who were both apostles. Now, James at this point, he's kind of abandoned Jesus. He's off running like many of the other apostles had been. Not John, though. John was right there. Okay, And as she was sitting at the cross... And as she is looking up, what she sees is Jesus, and she sees Jesus who is sacrificing everything for the kingdom, everything for the cause. And I can just only imagine at that moment while she's seeing the sacrifice that Jesus is making, that she sees another cross on his right and another cross on his, on his left. And I wonder if at that moment she remembers that it would, it would have been weeks earlier, maybe months, maybe even a year earlier, that she looked Jesus in the eye and said, hey, can you do me a favor? When, when, when you come into your kingdom, can my son stand on your right and on your left? I mean, think about that. Now she's at the cross. She's remembering maybe that request she made of Jesus, and she's seen a cross and a cross. And she's understanding right then. This is what it means to sacrifice for the cause. And John and her brother and his brother, her son James, went out and sacrificed for the cause. I think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. On this one, I don't have to go very far. I think we all get it. Her baby boy is on the cross. All right? Now, I know he was her firstborn, but at least in my house, the firstborn is the baby boy. Right? You get me, Shelby? You know? But as parents, our kids are all the baby, right? You know what I mean? Can you, can you imagine, if you're a parent in a room, can you imagine seeing your child on the cross. And that's what Mary is experiencing. And as I was preparing for this message, I started to think, I wonder if she could have stopped it. Like, I wonder if she could have just stepped in when everybody was yelling crucified. I wonder if she could have stepped in when the people were going, well, he says that he's the son of God, and he says that he is God, and he says that he is Messiah. Like, like I started thinking, you know what? Mary could have stopped it. Mary could have stopped, jumped in. Now, sovereignty of God, we know that that's not the case, but, but in just practical sense, think with me for a second. 
How easy would it have been when everybody started saying that, that she just said, whoa, whoa, time out. Let me tell you who he is. He's just my boy. Like, like I gave birth to him on this day in Bethlehem. And, and myself and my husband, Joseph, we raised him in Nazareth. Yeah, I know he's saying all this other stuff, but, but, but please ignore that for a moment, okay? And, and just, he's just a boy. Like, she could have went there. Now, again, that wouldn't have been under the plan of God, and it wasn't what God had called her to do. What God had called her to do was sacrifice for the cause. And I can just imagine when the sword came through his ribcage up into his heart and the water and the blood flowed, that at that moment while she's at the cross, that she sees that, and she's reminded of the testimony, the, the, the prophecy that was spoken over her 33 years earlier, he's going to cause the rise and the fall of many, and a sword is going to pierce your side. And I picture her right in that moment, that sword piercing her side. But she was willing to do it. Why? Because she understood the community requires sacrifice for the cause. And guys, nothing has changed. I want to make sure we all catch this. Nothing has changed. It wasn't like Jesus called Salome and Mary to be willing to sacrifice. And then he said, okay, that's good. That's enough. Now y'all just enjoy. No, Jesus said to his disciples then and to his disciples now, which means to me and to you, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you're not willing to deny yourself, you can't be my disciple. Jesus said, if you're not willing to give up everything, you can't follow me. So here's the bottom line. The sacrifice that was required of them is a sacrifice that is required of us. We have to be willing to do that very same thing. Well, well, what do you sacrifice? Well, I could go on for an hour on this, but I won't. I'll say a couple things real quick. Just think inside the church. We could talk about outside of the church all day long. We could talk about how you could sacrifice and uh, sacrifice for your community in your neighborhood or at the ball fields and stuff like that. But let's just even talk just inside the church. That what does it look like to sacrifice your time and your talents and your resources? What if you just said, you know what? I understand that I need to sacrifice for the cause. So I'm going to step up and I'm going to become a VIP. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to greet people at the door. I'm going to serve in the tech area or the coffee area. Or I'm going to serve in kids. If you're here earlier, you heard Clay talk about it. We have a major need in our kids' ministry right now. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons we have a major need is because we just opened up a brand new wing. And every week, it seems like more and more kids are coming to go to church here at The Rock. First, let me do this, right? Like, I'm fired up about that. Like, I love it. We've been saying we get it open, kids will come, and they're coming. But we need more and more people who will serve them who will rock a baby, who will hang out with a fourth grader, who will, will serve in our elementary area or our castle ministry with, with littler kids. Like, we have opportunity. Well, I don't know if I have time. I, I, don't, know if I, I don't know if I'm talented. You know, like, what will you sacrifice? Or even your money. Like, like, you think about it. Just to make sure everybody understands this as a church, we are a crowd-funded organization. I don't think I've ever used that language for church, but you get it. Like, this church is funded solely by the people here. Like, by the people who have called the rock home, we fund it, God blesses it, and he grows it. 
which simply means this, that, that as a church, for us to reach the mission, the cause, it requires people to give. And for some of you, you do that naturally. You do that all the time. Others of you, you maybe never have done it. And maybe it's because you haven't heard me talk about it. And we don't talk about it a lot. It's not because I'm not afraid to. I mean, honestly, I believe the, the more you understand biblical generosity, the better your whole life will be. I really believe that. We don't talk about it a lot because we just believe it'll come as a natural overflow of worship. But, but just real quick, let me just say this. That just as those ladies... They funded the ministry of Jesus. The church funds the ministry of Jesus, obviously with God's blessing. But the church people honor him and give. So if you call the rock home, I want to challenge you. If you've never given before, what are you willing to sacrifice? Like today should be the day. That, that, that if you've given every now and then, but you don't do it regularly... What are you willing to sacrifice? Today should be the day that you understand that because of the community that I'm in, there's a sacrifice I need to be willing to make to fulfill the cause. And, and then lastly, like, like if we'll look at the cross, here's what we see. We see a, cross, a community of the redeemed. We see a community that's willing to sacrifice for the cause. And then lastly, what we see is a community that understands the responsibility that comes with being family. A community that understands the responsibility that comes with family. Let, let's go to what Jesus had to say. We're going back to that, that moment. They're at the cross. The community's there in front of him. And now Jesus finally speaks to him. And this is what he says. He says, dear woman, here is your son. And then he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. Now, again, when I read that, and I've read it for a lot of years, and, and I've enjoyed it, but I've never told on it because I'm like, what do I get from this? Like, like, one thing I learned is what not to do. Like, what Jesus did in the moment is he looked at his mom and he said, woman, let me help you. If you want to get along with your mom or your wife, don't start your sentence with woman. Ladies, you in agreement there? <laughs> right? Why did Jesus do that? Like, you might look at that and say, that sounds weird to call your mom woman. This is my opinion. Okay, we don't know specifically, but this is my opinion. That he knows that he's being mobbed, he's being crucified, and he doesn't want to call out his mom in front of these people. That's the reason I believe that. But he says to her, dear woman, here's your son. And he points out John. Again, why does he do that? Like, why does he look at John, who's not her son, he's actually Salome's son, and say, now, here's your son. I mean, remember, Jesus had four other brothers and at least two sisters. That, that, that he had brothers, uh, that James and Jude and two others were his brothers. Scripture says that he has sisters. He could have had multiple. We don't know. We know at least two because it's in the plural. So there's at least, bad math with my fingers, there's at least six other siblings that, that, that could have taken care of his mom. So why does Jesus look at John and say, take, care of your, take her in as your mom? 
Wouldn't that have been James's job? Wouldn't that have been Jude's job? Wouldn't that have been somebody else? Well, here's why. Because they didn't believe in Jesus. Like his brothers and his sisters, at least at this point in his life, they didn't believe that he is the Messiah. They didn't believe in who he was. So what Jesus did is he looked at John and he said, spirit is greater than blood. And he said, this is now your family. That when you come into a relationship with Jesus, the spirit of God comes into you and you become part of a family. And we always think blood is thicker than water. Maybe, but the spirit is thicker than blood. The spirit is thicker than blood. So John took Mary in as his mom for the rest of his life. And here's what I want you to see with that. Is some of you are here and you don't feel like you have family. Some of you are here and you feel like an orphan. Some of you teenagers that you're struggling because you just, you just don't feel like you got family at home. Some of you are here and there's been a struggle with your real family and, and you're going through life alone and in isolation, maybe in darkness. At the cross, you find a family. At the cross, I found a family in that church that matured me and grew me up those last, first couple years of college. And then I went on to serve in another church and there was a family there in southern Indiana. And every place I've been, I found a family because the spirit is thicker than blood. Nothing wrong with blood. Remember, John is there with his mom. Nothing wrong with that. But it was the spirit that united them even more so than their actual blood. So I want all of us to recognize when we come into this community, you get grafted in. Or maybe a better way to say it is you get adopted in. None of us are in this community based on our own works, based on our own abilities, based on our own bloodlines. We are part of this family solely because of the work that Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. And he said, into the family you come. Let me bring you into the family. And as a family who is a biracial family through adoption, let me just tell you how beautiful it is when I look at my kids and I go, no, you're a Finkley. You're a Finkley. You're part of this family. But it's more than just them coming in and taking on my name. It's understanding that the spirit of God unites us all. And you might be here today saying, man, I desperately need that then come home. Come home. Connect with Jesus because he'll connect you to your father. And you'll find a real family with a dad that is the best dad in the world, in the universe. That's the kind of dad you'll find. But then you'll also find brothers and sisters Brothers and sisters who should love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, correct one another, 
But we got to love and serve and encourage and correct. But we got to do it in the right way. See, unfortunately, let's admit it, sometimes as family, we shoot one another. Like I think back to this story about that church of Ongoville that that soldier came in and he could have waged war on everybody, but he's like, no, God's at work there. I'm getting out of the way. Yet how many times do we as a family come in with a machine gun and shoot one another? That's not what God calls us to. He calls us to encourage, love, serve, and correct, but to correct in a great way. So I want to challenge you today Get involved with the community. Now, how do we do that? I'll make it real simple. Some of you, you've been walking in darkness. And it's time today to come to the light. I'm going to invite you just to go to the cross. I'm going to be over there. I'm going to ask some of my prayer counselors if you'll go over there. And if you just want to talk to somebody about what it means to surrender to Jesus, if you're ready to go from the light, uh, from the dark to the light, we want to help you do that. And you might want to pray with somebody. We'll be there for you. You might just want to go there and take a card and write your name on it and nail it to the cross and say, I want to be part of the community. I want to be part of the family. I need to be redeemed. I'm laying my junk at the foot of the cross and I'm coming to Jesus. You want to do that? You just, you head that way. Others of you, what you need to recognize today is, you know what? I know I'm part of the community, but I haven't been sacrificing and I haven't been taking on responsibility. Today's the day that ends. It's real simple. Just know that, you know what? I'm gonna sacrifice for the cause and I'm gonna get involved. I'm gonna get teamed up. I'm gonna get a community around me that's not just a huge family reunion, but I'm gonna go to the smaller family units as well. We, we need you, we want you, we want you to be on mission with us. So here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do is as soon as service is over, go to the connect corner. When you go to the connect corner, they'll talk to you about ministry, but then I'm gonna challenge you to go a step further and stay for 30 more minutes. We're gonna have a, a walkthrough class that's going on immediately after service. It'll last 30 minutes where you can find out more about the community and how to get plugged in. Because I don't want you just to hear a message and then go, okay, let's go eat lunch. Let's do something with it. Some of you, you need recovery right now. We have an incredible ministry that meets on Tuesday nights called Regen to help you walk through your recovery. It's incredible. Some of you need to go to it. So as soon as service is over, go to the Connect Corner and say, I need to talk to somebody about Regen. We want to be a community that gathers at the cross, sacrifices for one another, and lives out our responsibility. So let's do that right now. If you need to pray, if you want to take communion, you want to meet us at the cross, I'll be there. Let's go. Connect, connect with Jesus as he connects us with the Father who loves us. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about how to give to God through The Rock, you can find that information on our app or on our website. Another way that you can give to us is simply by subscribing to this podcast, rating it, telling your friends about it. All those things are super helpful. We hope you have a great week. Music